are powering our modern world and have changed nearly everything about how we live, how we connect socially, how we shop online, and how we run our businesses. Because apps are the connectors between users and organizations, they collect data valuable to attackers, and that makes them the number one target. I'm Sarah Boddy, director of F5 Labs. And I'm Ray Pompon, principal threat researcher at F5 Labs. And I'm Sander Vimberg, threat researcher at F5 Labs. F5 Labs continually studies how applications are being targeted and breached. Welcome to the next set of podcasts in our application protection research series, where we cover what we have learned in the past year. All right, well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Application Protection Research Series podcast with F5 Labs. And we are going to be talking about APIs, the popularity of APIs, how APIs are attacked, and what we're seeing in terms of API breach trends. Um, before we dig into some of those details, Ray, can you help clarify the term API? Sure. So application program interface. But And I'll start even when you said about popularity. So F5 did a, uh, a survey, the State of Application Services report, and they found that 42% of those surveyed are deploying API gateways and 27% planning to do more. They're coming, they're, they're bigger and bigger, they're used more and more. And, and these are essentially um, the ways that applications talk to other applications or services talk to other services. It's how we automate a lot of stuff in the cloud. It's how we automate all of our containers. It's how apps are actually constructed with pieces of these things. Would it be fair to bucketize APIs as mobile APIs and B2B APIs? I think that's a... Um, in terms of, of breaches, we actually look at that, at that, and we'll get into that in a minute too. Um, but yes, I mean, most mobile apps are actually talking to something on the back end via an API. People don't even realize that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a, there's a complexity and an abstraction issue there that people are really missing, especially since an API is a login into your app with full privileges to do all kinds of things. And it's pushing data and, and transactions all around that we're not even thinking about. Very privileged service account. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, I I think one of the the reasons why we're talking about APIs right now is is that the, it's not a new thing, right? It, it, an API is, is sort of an interesting object because it, it's at the same time as like a data standard. It defines it will define what sort of information is supposed to be passed between one application or, or sub-application service to another. Well, I was say, just yesterday we were talking about like how when you were in school, XML was going to change the internet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was in grad school, it was like XML is like the new thing. And, and I learned a bunch about it. And then I worked in security for a little bit. And then I worked in geopolitical race for a little bit and came back to security. And it was like, nobody talks about XML anymore. Um, and so... for Or maybe people do. Maybe I just am talking to the wrong folks. But... Um, APIs are one of those things where it's like, yeah, when I was uh, 10 years ago, it was, an API was a thing you had to understand. You had to kind of understand how they worked and what the standards were like and the different architectures. And then I never did any work with them. And then all of a sudden, in the last two years, they have just sort of, they have become front and center of the conversation about about architecture. They have, um, it, it, you know, now when you talk about business logic or you talk to someone who's building an app or you talk to a startup, it's like an API is a central piece of that architecture. It's also how they make money. I mean, a lot of yes. big com companies are now just connect to our API and we'll charge you to get access to our data and processing. Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliant thing, right? Because you, what you can essentially do is you can use other people's ideas to get a fresh start on your back end. 
right? So you can build a backend, have a business going. I think Expedia is, is one that makes a more a majority of their revenue actually comes from API connections. So they're running the backend, they're doing all the data processing. Other folks are managing users and UIs and all this other stuff and probably payment card processing of, of the end user. Um, and and so it is it is a, an increasingly important part of how contemporary applications are running on the web. Um, and so there's a there's a, a site programmableweb.com that sort of monitors and documents APIs to make it easier for people to to build things around them. And and they noted that between 2015 and 2019, the number of APIs that they're tracking has gone from 12,000 to 22,000 in four years, right? Almost doubled, yeah. So um, they have become incredibly prevalent. They are increasingly mission critical. And this is this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago about this sort of decentralization and disintegration of web applications as, it, as we move, move more and more towards containerized architectures, microservices architectures, um, it's more about developing very small and um, interchangeable subfunctions, and then kind of sewing it all back together at the at the infrastructure level or at the architecture level. And that's really where APIs come in, and that is that allows people to call third-party functions. It's like if I don't want to build my own service for a specific function that is critical to my business, I will subcontract it out. And then I'm going to use an API to connect those two pieces it behind the scenes. It makes more sense from a business standpoint. Yeah. You know, yeah. outsource key roles that you don't need to manage high-valued resources internally to do. Yeah. I mean, one of the simple examples we point to for those folks trying to grasp this concept is something like, you know, a mapping program. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at like Google Earth or something like that that's available. And then, you know, a zombie. Why rebuild that? Si- yeah. A zombie si- simulator that we talked about where it's like, hey, you know, you can add, you take the, the maps of where you are and the GPS coordinates, go pull the mapping data from the API, and then you can add zombies to that. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I didn't have to go build a mapping app. I could just, you know, just call it here with a key and I've got it all. It's right. really cool new scalability mm-hmm. from an app standpoint. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the upcoming threats. Yeah, so so as this grows, like how is the landscape changing? One of the the persistent issues around APIs is visibility, right? Mm-hmm. Because these are configured for machine to machine communications. And so unless someone is deliberately looking at these at at the the URIs where these APIs are are connecting to one one another um, or monitoring it, it's all happening behind the scenes. Right. And, and so it's the magic. Right. And so um, there there's a lot that is obscured there or a lot of complexity that is sort of shifted into a realm that in a lot of organizations, no one is actually taking a huge amount of responsibility for that. So it raises uh, significant visibility issues. Um, and I, I think that part of that boils down to the fact that this represents a trend in business that security hasn't done a great job of keeping keeping up with. Right. And so I, I and I, I'm not blaming the security industry here and, and I'm not blaming devs and cloud architects either, but there's a bit of a disjuncture here. Um, and so I, you see more and more web applications and, and large platforms moving to this model. But as, as similar to, to what we've seen with cloud storage and, and S3 buckets just being sort of set to public so that people can get their, their app out there. Um, we're seeing lots of APIs just go up on the internet, completely public, no authentication, no permissions, nothing, and 
that is essentially inviting someone who has a little bit of time to go find it, inviting them to just give themselves root root permissions on a, in a web application. So it's right, it, and to me that that's also the business going about it themselves. Yeah, right? absolutely. If, if this new API that was being developed, you know, had an enterprise IT team involved, right, these kind of basic things would not be happening. Right. Yes, I would say. Um, so we did this as a as a an auxiliary report last year uh, outside the the main APR that hundred page report because it was just too much. And would so you we, call it a horse pill? I would call it a horse pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we decided to have it was a chaser, but <laughs> because of the the prominence we see, we decided to incorporate this into this year's report because we're seeing more and more stuff and we're we're seeing and I, and frankly, you know, I'm hearing it from our own people within F5. I'm hearing it from customers. And customers so like, constantly. Yeah, we mm-hmm. want to know more about API security. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a serious problem, you know. It's it's a it's a gateway into the app, and it's, it's and like Sandra said, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's all floating around out there. And I would even say this was the one that was a hard call to make when we were looking at the cut for looking at attacks and breaches because technically most IoT devices are speaking to the back end via an API as well. And, we, and I didn't put them in there. I kind of saved it for for our well, IoT also research. Also, I think the, the breach trends with APIs is kind of relatively new, and it's going to take us a little bit to see that show up in breach trends. Yeah. Yes. And, and oftentimes it's hard to tell because, you know, the letters may not even, they mm-hmm. aren't going to get technical and exactly. say it's an API. Exactly. They may, yeah. it may get shoved under a web app attack or a, a credential attack. Right. Or an accident. Because we're going to see, we, well, these kind of, well, let's, let's get into it. There were three kind of big categories. Last, last year when we looked at this, there were two and we've added one. Um, there was the platform. So we mentioned Expedia, but these are, you know, these big giant and cloud falls into this. These giant organizations on online that basically you interface with them through an API. And in these cases, we're not just talking about an API that gets used occasionally. There's thousands of users per second pushing gigabytes, terabytes of data at any given moment. So with this high volume, high usage, you're going to see a chance for a small mistake mm-hmm. that could be devastating. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big chunk of, of the of the breaches we saw in incidents. And also I should say, the way we kind of broke this out in our report is we looked at both incidents and breaches. And the difference being a breach is like somebody actually broke in and criminals got their hands on data. Versus an incident is basically a security incident, meaning um, something went wrong but didn't necessarily lead to like a breach breach, a breach notification or people getting defrauded. But it was still a, a security event and such that security people were probably running around with their hair on fire for a while and executives were yelling at people. And, and um, I'll let Sandra unpack some of that. Um, but uh, the other two categories were mobile, because people don't seem to realize that mobile is actually talking to an API in the back end. And often bad guys are be like, well, you know, I'll, I'll decompile the mobile app and I'll look into that and, and look at those login credentials and, and, you know, maybe pull it out of the mobile app and then just go log into the back end server and see what I can get. And it kind of sometimes ties to the platform as well, because a lot of mobile apps talk to platforms. And then the, the third was the mis- misconfigured app. I hate that term. Misconfigured. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, people don't realize that they have APIs out there. Um, So it's it's an excuse for not knowing the real root cause. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I misconfigured something. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like it's it's a large bucket. Yeah. I mean, you can unpack that a little bit. Um. Yeah. Default creds. Um. No creds. No access controls. I exposed it publicly to the internet, and I forgot to require authentication. Right. Or I didn't even know. I forgot that, you know, because there's all these APIs that are that are floating around out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I opened it up for testing, 
because I wasn't able to actually complete my testing objectives with the proper controls in place. And mm-hmm. then I forgot to put the controls back in when mm-hmm. we went live. I mean, we've seen that over and over, right? Mm-hmm. That's an old one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. yeah. So and so I had mentioned there, you know, there's the breaches, the actual, you get the letters. But then um, we have sort of the, the incidents. And um, that's really where we have, a, you know, a different kind of attack path. And I think, Sandra, you had some interesting things to say about that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we found was a lot of these incidents were not really attacks in the sense of someone going in and stealing something for profit, but actually security research, mm-hmm. researchers identifying these. And, and um, what what I think this represents really is a rare case where the security industry, maybe not the, the, the ops practitioners um, running these platforms, but but sort of their peers in the in the in the gray hat researcher side is them recognizing that this is an increasingly likely way for them to find and publish a vulnerability or publish publish a significant finding and getting their name on a report really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of argue but whether that's positive or negative, but one big positive about it is that these aren't resulting in huge breaches, right? Because they are actually being identified. And so to, to rephrase that, the visibility problem is being highlighted by researchers and not attackers. Yay, security people. Yeah, Yay. totally. So, <laughs> so it is a positive development. It's also a sign of how hard it is to really maintain awareness of your entire environment when you're running one of these huge platforms with hundreds of APIs. Yeah, and I say, and we see that in the platform, we see that in the mobile. I was thinking, it was, I think I was at a security conference when their mobile API was actually compromised. <laughs> it was just like, oh, really? <laughs> but it's also like, you know, you have a large organization like, yeah, we need a mobile app, throw that out there and don't realize that like, oh, there's these things. And and I actually did a whole, um, I did a talk and, and I did an article series on mobile security, which was a lot about don't forget the API piece. Yeah. Don't forget to lock down on the ops side because this this is landing somewhere. And there's a there's going to be a lot to deal with. There's going to be DDoS attacks to deal with. There's going to be credentials. So all the traditional things you see with access control attacks mm-hmm. that we talked about in our mm-hmm. last podcast episode, you're going to see that on the API uh, escalation of privilege. So you need to look into that too. Yeah, we saw a lot of breaches of APIs with excessive permissions. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. Um, we like to talk about what we can, what our customers and listeners can do um, from an API security standpoint. Um, let's Find a- these things. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, get visibility. Yeah, uh, Ray and I have been harping on this since before I came to Labs. For we've been harping on this for a long time, but just the importance of of having a good, up to date inventory. Uh, and I think in this case, it's, it's made difficult partly because there are so many tools and there's so much sort of enablement of really, really rapid deployments these days. And like, that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the entire DevOps principle. And it's a really positive principle. It has changed a lot, has enabled a lot in the last decade or so, but it also means that security folks are getting getting kind of bypassed and so uh, sometimes and and so i think that 
I think we can say often. Often, based yeah. Based on the breaches that we're right. seeing now. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and so I, I think that the first thing is is getting the right people in the room, not just once, but mm-hmm. on a recurring basis mm-hmm. because applications change very and, quickly, And security right? people adapt to the modern, rapid pace of business and figure out a way to get in there right. quickly and be helpful. Right. Because if you slow the process down, they're going to continue to circumvent you. Yeah, that's something that we, we keep seeing. And, and we were just talking the other day. Is they, We used to talk about okay, if you make life hard for your organization as a security practitioner, find a way to go around you. people will go around you. Yeah. And, and now it's almost as if the entire industry is going around the entire security fields yeah. just because they know that they need to get to market fast and they, they want to build stuff. And that's why I think it's on security professionals to figure out a way to meet them within their processes quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, going around and circumventing security controls and having your systems get breached through basic security failures is not acceptable and right. it's not okay. But we do have to figure out a way to work with them. Yeah. yeah. So... I Oh, I was going to say, one of the, the problems we have with, with getting visibility in our traditional security tools is it's hard to find these things. They're hard to scan for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did actually go back and look at our, our global honeypot data and found 0.1% of that scanning going out in the universe, looking for things that we could kind of attribute back to APIs for mm-hmm. known systems, which means a lot of these are bespoke attacks. They're very custom to the API, to the platform or the mobile that they're looking for, which you know, means that, like, again, you know, you'll see a security researcher, they're probably going, like, I'm going to go look at so-and-so platform for an API to, to pop. Right. Versus, I know there's this kind of API vulnerability out there, like a SQL injection, and I'm going to scan across the universe to see if I can find it. Right. So right. this is the same time. It makes it harder for attackers unless they've come after you, but it makes it harder for security people. Yeah. Okay, great. That was the first step, visibility. Yeah, the, the next one is... It's going to sound really stupid, but authentication is is there are a lot of APIs that aren't asking for any kind of auth. And there are... And some are designed that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there are different mm-hmm. ways to implement authentication on an API. There are different standards. In, in my experience, it really depends on your business model and the use case and exactly what the API is doing, which one you choose. But one thing, if I was just going to stress that auth on your API is not really an option. That at this point, it's like it represents such a high impact way for for an application to be compromised that there's really I can't think of a great situation where I'd be like, just don't put anything. Or go down. I mean, it can yeah. be an availability play. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and I'm gonna say so when I talk about mobile security and mobile APIs, here's a very simple auth you should do before you even auth the user. Auth what you're talking to. These mm-hmm. are for machine to machine communications. Right. Make sure you're talking to the actual right app. Mm-hmm. And so you know, have your mobile app actually authenticate itself to the API before you even get into the username and password. So you just scrape the bots off. Because bad guys can just scan for this stuff with their own little bots and look for these right. APIs and find them. Yeah. And and once you've got that sorted, once you have authentication up, then it also, you get to the, the next question of permissions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's if, if, uh, if, assuming we're talking about REST APIs that use the standard web methods, um, you, it is probably a good idea to start restricting some of those methods depending on the use case. Like you maybe don't want to allow... API connections to delete records. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. That might be something that someone would exploit. So um, Ray has even sort of talked about more advanced cases where you can set up specific behavioral chains that user agents over APIs are allowed to right. execute. And, and that would represent a sort of a step further. But at the very least, once you've got the auth up, 
think about and then audit permissions and and right least privilege should apply to machine connections the same way it applies to humans exactly so when we talk about like the mobile app so an attacker will take a mobile app download it from the store get it on their workbench and decompile it find the authentication credentials and this is where you get into the you want to authenticate the app to make sure the app hasn't been tampered with and you're actually talking to the real app but that gives them access at some point maybe they do get the access they do get the login what can they do well are they going to download thousands of records via the API? Well, a mobile app's really not going to do that because phones can't hold thousands of records. So that's something you probably want to block or throttle. So, you know, this gets back into the, you know, the, the granularity of what you're allowing. Some of these kind of attacks you've seen where it's like the guys, um, you know, the API has allowed you to log in and then they start to move around and go, oh, I can actually get to access to other records. Oh, I can, yeah, delete records. I right. can bring down more records. I can move, I can activate functions that may cause a denial of service that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually goes to the next recommendation that we make, which is to log API connections. Mm-hmm. You know, we are very big fe- uh, proponents of logging, lots of logging, log as much as you can, as much as you can store, and uh, and review those logs and actually do stuff with them, which is not something that people do all that often. Uh, and I think, in, in essence, it really, if you, if you boil it down, is like a lot of the controls that you would put in place for access control for humans, you should be putting in some form of the same principle in, mm-hmm. these, in these machine-to-machine connections. Right. Especially when you look at like a, a chain of APIs that make an app. And right. This gets back to that idea of like this swarm of, of services forming an app. And so you may have a front end talking to an app, you know, some sort of processing app via an API that's talking to a database for an API that's maybe handing off to do some analytics over here. for an So the next thing you know, you've got half a dozen APIs all talking to each other in some sort of weird mesh. How much of that needs to be visible and what permissions do they have and what are you logging that's going on here? Yeah, yeah another thing that, that you can do is you can just encrypt all API traffic. And uh, this has some advantages. It has advantages for um, the most common API authentication protocol, the OAuth 2.0. Uh, it also just sort of, you know, for all the reasons why we like encryption in other forms of traffic, it gives you a lot of the same uh, safeguards for API connections. What about volume testing? Absolutely. And this is where you want to make sure your Vuln tester understands this. Remember we said we don't see a lot of scanning, and most of the scanning that you do see is very focused on the actual platform to look for it. Mm. Back to the first pod, well, the first podcast and the second part of our research on this, we were talking about injection vulnerabilities, and we've definitely seen a good amount of API breaches from injection vulnerabilities. Right, right, yes. The lack of visibility into APIs that exist means a lack of you know, vulnerability testing against the API, and that's a big piece of it, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And last year, we actually talked about deserialization attacks as mm-hmm. an upcoming thing, and that's that's flowing over an API as well. Mm-hmm. We're actually taking... So all of this stuff is happening over web traffic and, and web methods because that's what we're all... Everything is sort of defaulting to as the protocol of the Internet. And so, you know, by funneling things down, we're, we're making things more abstract and more simplified, but but also packing it in more with you know it looks simple and abstract on the outside but on the inside it's actually far more complex and so if you're going to do vault testing you're going to need to make sure that your tester is aware of these things and they're testing specifically for these kinds of attacks and and my head just keeps coming back to out of all the different um, components of attacks and breaches that we've been looking into and had separate podcasts on it all comes back from a recommendation standpoint into you know common security controls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's just the extension privilege. of these common security controls everywhere that yep. you are most likely to get targeted mm-hmm. and breached. It, it's it's like we know how to fix this. We know how to get mm-hmm. rid of a lot of this this dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of work and and resources and focus. Maybe next year we'll talk about. Um, whether or not we should find new ways of doing things if these common security controls are not working after all this time. Well, I, I think it really comes back to this this tension between enabling the business and securing the business, mm-hmm. right? Is is that I think I think the folks who are motivated to to put controls in place are also the ones who are not necessarily going to the meetings or participating in the discussions where people are are designing these systems. Are we still selling security? Are we still selling the need for security? Yeah. I don't, or are the attackers doing it for us? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've been hoping that was yeah. going to be the case for a long time. Yeah. It, it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, I, you know, I spent most of my career trying to like insert security into the conversation. And now we're finally seeing you know, this DevSecOps kind of thing where it's like, and, and it actually kind of going the other way too, where people say, no, it should be just be DevOps because everybody should understand that security is part of this process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, to me, having... Having been saying, I've I've been just as bad as a lot of folks of saying that what it should be. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to really boil it down to okay, like if I can identify there's a state that I think we should be in, I'm going to stop saying that it should be a way. I'm going to start talking about how we can get there. Like what's yep. what is the first step? And and security I, is a critical component to application availability. Yeah, and finding a way to have a common ground with the developers that are creating. Yeah, and DevSecOps can help in, in this regard. I think there's... Hey, we a, need to make that buzzword a reality industry. Right. Exa- that's, that's it shouldn't even be a buzzword. It should be, this is how we Agreed. do it. Agreed. Yeah. And, Agreed. and unfortunately, right now, there is a lot of snake oil around it. It is... I think a lot of folks right now are looking at a buzzword, and it's kind of on the industry to make that real mm-hmm. and to, to meet the DevOps community halfway and sort of be like, okay, look, we can talk about how we would love applications to be to be built and what we want the business logic to be, but we mm-hmm. folks are doing it whether we think it should be one way or another, right? All right, that's our call to action: make DevSecOps a reality. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's kind of kind of wrapping up all of the um, the recommendations we have. So the nice thing is that a lot of API security and API security tools are built around the concept of okay, what is this API supposed to do? You know, what are you supposed to accept as a login? What kind of actions are you gonna do? If you can define that mm-hmm. and then just like the firewalls of old, we can actually write some rules around mm-hmm. that and enforce that. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, great. To summarize it up, we've got five top recommendations for API security. Number one is visibility. Are you aware of all the APIs that exist in your environment? Number two is get your access control in place. Right, mm-hmm. we keep coming back to AAA for access control. Yeah. Right, um, I think we said three was monitoring and logging. Get your logging up to up to par. Yeah. Right, um, four encrypt that traffic, please. We need secure APIs. Yes. Um, and then five is just getting back to um, vulnerability testing. Mm-hmm. Right, and and secure coding is a big piece of that. Right. Yep. Are you identifying vulnerabilities within your API, and are you actually remediating the vulnerabilities that you see? Totally. And there are advanced web application firewall products on the market now to deal with API security. Um, I definitely see WAFs as your um, gap insurance, right? They make a lot of this stuff a lot easier. Mm -hmm. All right, well, there you have it. So to stay up to date with our latest research around application protection, just follow us on f5labs.com. Thank you. 